This is the story of the biggest theft in history. The big steal of the resources of the biggest country in the world, Russia, by its own government. A Kremlin clique that runs the country like its own personal bank, a clique of bandits. It's also the story of how Russia is using every part of its state machinery in a war many of us don't even realize is taking place to subvert democracy worldwide. In episode four, Vladimir Putin lays down his marker. The one by one by one, these oligarchs, went to Putin and said, Vladimir, what do we have to do so we don't have to sit in a cage? He said, it's real simple, 50%. I'm Gavin Esler, and in The Big Steel, we're telling the extraordinary story of how in one generation, Russia went from communism to kleptocracy. At its heart, how the Russian government stole the country's biggest oil company, Yukos, from its shareholders and put the man at its helm in jail for 10 years. Mikhail Kordakovsky is sentenced to nine years in prison for fraud and tax evasion. It's a conviction that raised eyebrows throughout much of the West because Kordakovsky had been a longtime political rival of President Putin. The principal beneficiary of the big steal is Russia's president, Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin, and his behavior is ruthless. If we look at the spate of assassinations, this is clearly not a man who has a problem with violence. We begin episode four with an extraordinary scene. It's June 2004, eight months since Mikhail Khodorkovsky, Russia's richest man, and the brains behind its star-performing oil company Yukos, was arrested at gunpoint in his private jet in Siberia. He's traded his luxury home for a cage in a Moscow courtroom. Khodorkovsky was first told the authorities wanted him as a witness in a criminal investigation. Once in Moscow, he finds he himself is being charged with fraud and tax evasion. Then he's put in front of television cameras in a cage in a Moscow courtroom, like a scene from a show trial of the Stalin era in the 1930s. Vladimir Karamurza is a Russian opposition politician, a democracy activist, author and filmmaker. He recalls clearly the dramatic arrest of Khodorkovsky. It's like the Kennedy moment for many of us. Everybody remembers where they were when, when the news of Khodorkovsky's arrest came in, because it was something, something from another world. Here he was, the richest man in Russia, the most successful Russian businessman, uh, who, you know, for many people was becoming the symbol of what it was possible to be and, you know, how business could be cleaner and more transparent and more modern and more European uh, in Russia. This person being arrested in such a brazen way in, in an early dawn raid by the FSB on his plane in Novosibirsk. I mean, this was, this was intended as a message, and it was a message, and it was certainly heeded by the rest of Russia's business community that has made sure to stay well out of politics and, and even of civil society work since then. Khodorkovsky's key business partner, Platon Lebedev, had already been arrested on similar charges of financial wrongdoing. Mikhail could have escaped, but last episode he told me how he weighed up his chances of being visited by the authorities. So I thought that there was a 70-30 percentage uh, of me ending in prison. 70% that I would be behind bars, but 30% that I could still win that game. 
к сожалению, они менялись. More importantly, however, there's the show. TV pictures of Khodorkovsky were seen all over Russia and all over the world. One interested viewer was an American-born businessman, Bill Browder. He had enormous and for a time highly profitable investments in Russia. As Bill pointed out to me, keeping a prisoner in a cage was standard behavior in Russia. But what was unusual was the deliberate attempt to ensure the entire world could witness the humiliation. So Hordakovsky gets arrested in October of, of 2003. Um, they arrest him off his private jet, uh, which is sitting on the runway in Siberia. They bring him back to Moscow, and they put him on trial for tax evasion. And when, you get, when, when you're uh, in a criminal case, when you're a defendant in a criminal case in Russia, there is a 99.8% conviction rate. And so there is no presumption of innocence of a defendant. And as part of that whole no presumption of innocence, they put the defendants in a cage um, just because that's where you're going to end up afterwards. And so um, they put Mikhail Hordakovsky, the richest, most powerful, smartest oligarch in Russia, in a cage. And then they allowed the television cameras to come in and film him sitting in a cage. Now, imagine that you're the 17th richest oligarch. You're in the south of France on your yacht. It's parked off the Hotel du Cop in Antibes. Um, you've just finished up in the bedroom with your mistress. You walk out to the living room. You flick on CNN. And there you see a guy far richer, far smarter, far more powerful than you sitting in a cage. What's your natural reaction going to be? You don't want to sit in that cage yourself. And so one by one by one, these guys, these oligarchs, in the summer of 2004, went to Putin and said, Vladimir, what do we have to do so we don't have to sit in a cage? He said, it's real simple, 50%. Not 50% for the Russian government or 50% for the presidential administration of Russia, uh, 50% for Vladimir Putin. And at that moment in time, Putin became the richest man in the world and the number one oligarch in Russia. Claims of tax evasion and financial crimes have become a useful tool for President Putin to remove inconvenient potential rivals. It happened with Khodorkovsky, it happened to his associates, and it's happening right now to the political party of opposition leader Alexander Navalny. And there's the obvious irony that powerful figures in the Kremlin who have their own hands in the till are using charges of financial crimes to silence their opponents. Russia expert Anders Aslan told me of just one deal in which Putin himself allegedly made $200 million. Former Deputy Minister of Finance Andrei Vavilov had uh, bought uh, Sievrenieft uh, Northern Oil for $7 million. Uh, and two years later, uh, he sold it uh, to Rosneft for $600 million. 
I asked Babila about it and he said, well, I developed the company very beautifully, which I, of course, did not quite uh, buy. And I asked Khadarkovsky and said that uh, uh, their information was that it had been a bribe of $200 million that um, Babila had uh, paid to the management of Rosneft. By the management, uh, uh, Khodorkovsky then meant uh, Sergei Bogdanovich, who was the CEO, and uh, uh, Igor Sechin, Putin's right-hand assistant, who did not have a formal position in Rosneft at the time. Later he became chairman and now uh, CEO but he effectively controlled Rosneft. But when he started talking about this case, he realized that clearly some of the money, uh, this $200 million, had gone to Putin himself. And Putin then turned furious. So I think that this is a wonderful illustration about how Putin really functions. He was in on the deal. He benefited personally, and then he had uh, to push uh, Khodorkovsky. And so there were plenty of reasons why Vladimir Putin might want Khodorkovsky in a cage. I told Mikhail what the American businessman Bill Browder had told me. You know what Bill Browder told us? We interviewed Bill Browder a few days ago, and he said, you were put in a cage so that every other wealthy person in Russia would look and say, that Khodorkovsky, he's got more money than me, he's smarter than me, and look what happened to him. I'd better find out from Putin what I need to do not to end up in a cage. Do you think Do you think Bill Browder's got that about right? Yes, I do think that the Yukos case, the first case, uh, broke a lot of, really kind of broke a lot of people in Russia. Not just people, uh, kind of br- did a lot of damage in Russia. I think a lot of people suddenly realized that courts would not be on their side, that they cannot find protection in the courts. Perhaps that had been the case before, but this was the first publicly covered by the media case like that on TV. And the judiciary understood very well during that process that they also had to make the right decision dictated by government to them. Otherwise, they would be broken as well. Russian court cases tend not to have happy endings. Mikhail Khodorkovsky and his colleague Platon Lebedev were sentenced to 11 years in penal colonies. Imagine going from a humble background to becoming a billionaire and then finding yourself sentenced to years in the Russian prison system, notorious for the Soviet-era gulags, in human cruelty, violence and disease. Can I ask you about, about prison? I mean, you know, the idea of a Russian jail through Russian literature, through anything and people in the West have read about, it sounds like a horrific time. You're, you're a fit guy. How bad was it? Today's jail in Russia is not the gulag we had in the past. OK, it wasn't as bad as a gulag. <laughs> But it wasn't a lot of fun, was it? Well, you have to understand your average prisoner. Your average prisoner is at such a low level in prison that he doesn't even understand who he's dealing with. First, he sees somebody much older than him. And this is important in a Russian jail. 
An average age in the type of prison I occupied was 23, and I was 40. And there was a significant difference. Then they see an educated person who can actually help or explain things they don't understand themselves. And then they also testing your inner strength. Поэтому в целом отношения с людьми. Are you going to be scared? Are you going to be nervous? Or are you calm and collected? And with this collectedness of yours, can actually help others. I've always had very strong nerves, and perhaps I should thank my parents for that. And this way, I really did was able to help those people I shared the cell with. So, when people are hysterical and there's no one coming to their rescue, they always look at the person who can help them. So, in fact, my relations with the people I shared the cell with were quite fine, okay? And sometime I found myself in a cell with 12 or 13 other prisoners. Uh, and I uh, found that my friend Platon Nebedev found himself in a punishment isolation cell. And the man managing Russian prisons, Mr. Kalinin, said, publicly said that Mr. Lebedev was not going to leave that cell ever. And I knew that Platon Lebedev was in poor health and he would just die in that cell. So I started a dry hunger strike, so that Kalin knew that I could only last about 10 days. A dry hunger strike means Without water. no water at all, which is a death sentence very quickly. They didn't really quite believe me, so at one point they decided to test me on the fifth day of my hunger strike. Very easy, they take your blood pressure. 220. 220. The blood starts to coagulate and it's much harder for the heart to pump it through the veins and arteries because you get thrombosis. And this is why mostly, most people don't live beyond 10 days, they just die. Seeing that, they asked the rest of the cell, the 12 prisoners, to sign the document saying that, in fact, I'm not really on a dry hunger strike, that I am drinking water. None of them did. The Khodorkovsky case was and still is a sensation in Russia and among Russians in exile. Gary Kasparov is a world-renowned Russian chess grandmaster and former world champion. Now a political activist, he's chairman of the Human Rights Foundation based in New York. Putin had been steadily destroying all institutions that could uh, play the roles of checks and balances. And uh, anything that could even remotely threaten his power was doomed to end at at the chopping block of uh, KGB machines. And uh, one of the turning points was, of course, 2003, the successful attack on Yukos, the largest, the most successful Russian company. And while uh, Putin propaganda succeeded in Russia and partially in the West, telling that it was an attack on oligarchs um, and uh, it was about corruption and about uh, taxes that were not, were not paid, the reality was, was the opposite as it's always happens with dictatorial regimes. So Khodorkovsky's guilt was that he wanted to pay taxes, but to pay taxes to the Russian state, to the treasury, not to live in a world of grafts and bribes and corruption. And he wanted to integrate Yukos into the global uh, industrial financial system and to make, to make it a multinational corporation. That was so much against interest of Putin and other oligarchs, true oligarchs who wanted to keep things as, as they were. And, um, and they could feel that with the oil prices rising rapidly, they would do much better 
without any transparency, without any integration, uh, a real integration so into the um, uh, world financial, economical, uh, and eventually political system. The, the way Putin's oligarchs integrated was quite different. Buying soccer clubs, building a network of agents and lobbyists. And again, let's give them credit, they succeeded. For his part, Anders Aslan sees the Khodorkovsky case as extraordinary but not unique. It was, he told me, part of a well-thought-out Putin plan to take down his perceived enemies one by one and along the way help himself and his cronies to most of their money. Whom did he attack first? Vladimir Kosinski, the outstanding media oligarch who produced the best television, radio and the newspapers in Russia. Out he went. Uh, and uh, the reason that uh, Putin put forward, it was uh, that they were failing financially. Next, uh, Boris Berezovsky, the other big uh, media oligarch, because he had uh, taken control over ORT, the big um, state television channel with only 49% of the shares. So out Berezovsky was forced. Who comes next? Khodorkovsky, because he was the most successful businessman. And what Putin did very successfully in each case, he took one person at a time. And he never claimed that this was because he wanted political control. Oh, no. It was always one financial problem or the other that made it necessary for uh, for Putin's uh, authorities to uh, intervene. And not only that, uh, throughout uh, the Jukos uh, case, uh, Putin claimed that uh, Jukos would not be forced into bankruptcy, which it of course uh, was. And um, the foreign investors were so gullible that they believed Putin. Uh, so until the end of uh, uh, 2004, more than one year after Khodorkovsky had been arrested, the stock price of uh, Jokos uh, on the New York Stock Exchange held up. And then in the end, uh, American investors alone uh, probably lost $12 billion on uh, the Jokos collapse. Despite Mikhail Khodorkovsky's brave words to me that his jail was not as bad as the gulags of the past, it's difficult to imagine what it must be like to spend years in a Russian prison, especially for a crime which you did not commit. And when you also know at least 30 of your UCOS employees and colleagues are also being jailed on trumped-up charges. In the next episode of The Big Steel, we'll hear about those others, some who died, some killed by neglect, some still behind bars. Of all the victims of the Yukos case, of everyone who has, you know, gone through this ordeal that the Putin regime began in 2003, you know, there's no fate more tragic than that of Vasily Alexanyan, a young, successful professional who was, I mean, let's call things for what they are, who was basically killed uh, by the Putin government, who lost his life to the Yukos case. And we'll hear that UCOS might be the biggest steal of all, but it's not been the last. The American-born investor Bill Browder was on the Putin and kleptocrats list for special attention. But Browder managed to fight back. The police, working together with corrupt officials and organized criminals, orchestrated highly complex corporate identity theft, where they stole 
the corporate entities through which we had invested in Russia. There's no question in my mind that he is a total and absolute criminal, and he's made more money from his crimes than any other criminal in the history of crime. The Big Steel was presented by me, Gavin Esler, and produced by Martin Points Roberts at Fresh Air Production. Please make sure you subscribe to the series so you don't miss an episode.